0: Months we'll be doing a drive through prayer. We will. We really will. And then there'll be a serve day and a serve 5K, and your gifts help us do that. And I'm so grateful that you do that. Well, last week I said I was going to cover five things. I covered one. And uh, I was just talking about good, good connections. That's what we're talking about, being connected, because that's what life is about. God has actually hardwired us. Science is showing it. The Bible has said it, and so often science confirms. What is really true in the Word of God when you understand the intent in the Word of God. And and good connections are a part of what God calls us to have from the very beginning. And good connections are more about what you believe and the choices you make than they are about how you feel, your circumstances, and other things that may be going around externally. I I shared last week, don't get up in the morning and ask, how do I feel? Someone had shared this with me. But get up and ask, what do I believe? Don't get up and ask how do I feel, but get up and ask what I believe. Because when the alarm goes off at 4.35 a.m. and you don't feel like getting up, how many are getting up at that time? Well, just hang with me for a second. If you're getting up at 4.35 a.m. and you don't feel like getting up, but you also know that you believe that if you don't get up, you'll miss that 7 a.m. flight, what takes precedence? It's the choice you make. It's what you believe. Being connected often means feelings will be secondary to making good choices. And that's true in our relationships. The choices we make determine often whether we're connected or not. We said in the very first message, the goal of relationships is to be connected. The goal of marriage specifically, people forget that, if you ask them, is to be connected. And so what you need to pay attention to is the disconnects. And a lot of times we don't even experience or know those disconnects. God has made us in His image and He's given each one of us because we are like Him one incredibly, one incredible awesome gift in our will. And, and you'll find in scripture God doesn't override our will. He is one who is um, always honoring that. But He also calls us to choose and to use that will, not to be victims to the things around us, our feelings, environment. I want you to stand with me. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. And I've taken this chunk of scripture, because I believe if you kind of just dwell with this for a while, it might be a helpful thing. And I'll read it first. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So I want you to read that little center part with me, okay? I want you to wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Wake up, sleeper, as I speak. Because I trust and really believe that God's going to speak to your heart. Jesus, we give you thanks, and we ask that you would speak to us. We stand before you in recognition and in honor of who you are, and we ask that you would use your word and use these words to speak to our hearts, that we would be people connected well to you and to other people and to your creation. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I said, we're going to do five things. I'm going to try and get through those five. And if we don't get through those five, too bad. But we talked about shame. We're going to then talk about blame. We're going to talk about pain, the pain of the woundedness and hurts that we experience and how we respond to those. And then we're going to talk about priorities and hopefully maybe speak a little bit about rejection. If we get there, great. If not... Maybe I'll put it on a blog or something. Who knows? Anyway, shame, we said last week, is one of the number one culprits to disconnection in relationships. It is it is really one of the basic things that keep us disconnected. So many people last week, I couldn't believe it, either through email or they stopped me and talked to me, some with tears in their eyes and said what you had said, what what the word of God um, said last week, so impacted my life because shame is such an important part and a few even said I didn't understand how key it was to being well-connected. At the IF conference, someone had shared this with me. A man named Kurt Thompson recently released a book called The Soul of Shame. So the IF women's gathering that took place a few weeks ago, weekends ago. He said this. He said it only takes three seconds to absorb a criticism and move to shame. So someone says, wow, why? do you really think those two pieces of clothing go together? One, two, three. It's already shame. But what he also said is this, that it takes people 30 seconds to absorb a compliment. And so what he'll often have people do is turn to one another. So I'm going to ask you to turn to someone near you, and if you're kind of here alone, you really don't want to do that, just kind of look down and then everyone will know they don't want to talk to you. But turn to someone, would you? And I want someone just, just to look at them and from their heart genuinely give them a compliment. Okay? Now you guys aren't turning. A few of you at least do this. Just give them a, from your heart a compliment. Steve, you look really good. (laughs) Okay, okay, stop for a second. Keep looking at that person who complimented you. One, two, three, four, five. 30 seconds seems like forever for it to get into your soul. Okay, you can stop. Quit complimenting. I don't know, hopefully... See, shame is different than guilt. We said this last week. Guilt is something that is more about our actions. It's more external to us. It's, it comes from within. That's something that I did wrong. I offended you. I did something wrong. And it requires humility and willingness. A kind of an agreement that says, yes, what I did hurt you. And what I did offended you. What I did brought pain into your life. And, and we said the idea is when you do a sense where you admit your guilt and you, you come to a person confessing it in agreement, what you want to do is not be so concerned about the relationship being okay because we all kind of do that but that you kind of realize what you did was so painful that you don't want to do it again it's what happens in our relationship to God when you get really real and you go God what I did to this person actually hurt and offended you I just want to be forgiven and that's kind of the easy part but shame is the harder one because it's deeper it's more about your being it's not I made a mistake it's I am a mistake it's not that I offended you it's I'm an offense just my very existence it's a part of your being not so much what you do it says I'm rotten I'm worthless I'm defective I am no value and then shame because it's something in us that we see and we experience and maybe not necessarily others don't although we think everyone sees it but we what we do is what it shows us in Genesis is you run and you hide because shame fears being known the real you, what you see and know about yourself, must be kept covered and hidden. And so you dress yourself in the fig leaves, as we said last week, and the mass of our success and the things that we think other people are going to look at and go, oh, that's acceptable. I like you. I, I, I In fact, I think you're really a good person. And and we live with this thing hidden inside us, which is our shame. And we live with these things that we are hiding Because we can't stand it or we can't control it. And we are so afraid if other people saw that, they would disconnect from us. And the reality is it keeps us already disconnected at a level. Now, I'm not saying and admitting that you need to share this with everyone, but what happens is that at some point it is important that as we read in the scripture that you expose it to the light so that you can become a light. And that will mean trusted people. It means that you need to come before God and maybe a few others where you can actually share that. Here's the truth. Every one of us carries shame. And the way to defeat shame is to confess it courageously get vulnerable and expose it to the light. It takes the courageous work of forcing it out of hiding. That's why God stands over Adam and Eve and goes, where are you? He's calling them to get real with where they're at, to know what's going on in their hearts so he can say, I could, you don't think I see, but I see, but I want you to say it out loud. Because I still love you. I see it. Well, I am um, gonna ask Judd Stevens to come. He last week um I, first I she just says, you know, I, I heard the name Judd Stevens years ago when I watched Go for Hockey and you were on the team, and then I had the opportunity at one point to be a part of officiating your wedding, and I remember that Rachel Meyer here in our congregation, not related to me, was going to be marrying a guy named Judd Stevens. I go, I think I know who that guy is. And then we had the opportunity after that to get you in a small group and, and get to know each other. And last week you said, you know what? I think I'd like to share my story because what you were talking about really connected. So I'll let you do it.
1: And and by that, uh, after we got married, I think that Monday morning at about 6.50, there's an email saying, hey, I have this small group of guys. Are you interested in joining? I was like, <laughs> I just met this guy, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I wasn't he's invited me deal. to... Yeah. To join a small group, but, uh, yep. and he did call me and said, wear your brightest, yeah. uh, V-neck with a we're, check we're shirt dressed, underneath, and so. <laughs> in case it is, wondering that we coordinated. Yeah. Um, I'll let you take this for a minute or two. Thank you, Kevin. And, you and know, I'll watch for, the
0: clock because everyone watches it when I speak. Get fair it? enough.
1: <laughs> well, thank you, and praise God for the chance to, to share this. So, I've, I've titled this, Moving a Mountain. I'd always ter- heard the term, Moving a Mountain, uh, and if I'm honest with myself, I didn't really think it applied to me. Why would I need a mountain moved? I had a lot of great things going on in my life. I'd lived a, I've lived a great life. I was a straight-A student. As Kevin alluded to, I had a lot of success athletically. I was the captain of the Gopher hockey team. We won multiple national championships. Through that process, I got to meet the president of the United States in the White House twice, which was awesome. Uh, do a lot of great things. Uh, I married an amazing wife um, who was my high school crush. Uh have amazing young kids. Um, have a career in private equity that continues to go very well, beautiful house, making great money, everything was going great. Um, All of a sudden, in 2017, I had my first experience with anxiety. I won't forget it. It was awful. For the lucky people that haven't experienced it, please don't substitute nervousness or stress with anxiety. They're fundamentally different. Unless you've experienced it, it's hard to explain. You feel trapped, like you can't escape. You feel alone you can't stop worrying about a variety of things. I couldn't believe this was happening to me. Why me? I'd played hockey in front of thousands and thousands of people on big stages with no issues. I've given investor presentations in front of Harvard MBA types with no issues. Now, I was having anxiety around some very simple, non-threatening situations. There are many different forms of anxiety I have an anxiety disorder that centers around losing control, a fear of drawing attention to yourself and ruminating on those thoughts. And become a, because of this, you fall victim to intrusive thoughts and anxious thinking takes over. I'd experienced uh, periods where I struggled with this over the ten, last 10 years of my life, but I was able, always able to see it quickly pass. But for whatever reason, it became more debilitating in the last couple years. I became very scared and full of shame. I didn't want to tell anyone about it, even my wife. I couldn't believe this was happening. I prayed harder and harder that it would go away. Every day I woke up and prayed that it would pass. It didn't. I still had good and even great, great days, but the anxiety lingered and continued to affect me. And the shame started to mount on me, grasping me when I would go through a bout with anxiety, scared to tell anyone, scared to talk about it. Uh, anxiety... Um, Pardon me. Uh, anxiety is a disorder that moves around. For me, it decided to move to airplanes. So, as part of my job, I travel. I'm on an airplane almost weekly. I've taken hundreds and hundreds of flights with no issues, and all of a sudden, I started getting anxiety around flights. This is when it got difficult to manage. At this point, I started tapping into I, I, I reached out for help. I started tapping into my network of men for help. My plea for help started uh, with a long walk on a nice day in downtown Wysetta with Pastor Kevin. If anyone's walked with him, it's pretty quick pace. I remember breathing hard, trying to keep up. He was in a good mood. I was not in a good mood. So it was, uh, it, uh, I remember that day well. I tried to articulate my fear and struggles, uh, but I wasn't ready to be fully vulnerable at that point. Kevin, However, Kevin suggested I try the gateway prayer ministry. Uh, after hymning and hawing about that, I finally felt the Holy Spirit lead me to try it. It changed my life. I didn't leave the prayer room with any solutions to deal with this anxiety I was dealing with. But I heard God speak to me in many ways. Most importantly... God spoke to me and said, you need to continue to dig into this and get more help. Of course, I didn't get professional help right away. I kept sort of white-knuckling it through, sitting on flights and in meetings, trying to hide my anxiety. The shame and darkness continued to drag me down. God inserted himself again, this time in the form of a member of a small group of men from Moisetta Free Church. One member of our group decided to open up about a pretty personal issue he had overcome in his past. His vulnerability spoke to me. I look up to this person and to hear him be vulnerable, uh, I knew I wanted to open up about my issues. Finally, one Monday, I was supposed to fly to New York City the next day and I just couldn't deal with the anxiety the flight was causing. I didn't want to keep white knuckling it. I came home from work and broke down to my wife. Being the amazing woman that she is, uh, she was so full of support and calmly encouraged me to find someone to talk to. I was shocked. I didn't know what to expect. I expected her to be scared. I expected her to You know, freak out, not know what to say. But of course, she was very calm. Maybe that's her medical background or just her tender love. The next day, I canceled my trip and went to see a doctor. I was introduced to a gentleman that runs a group called Christian Counseling for Men. It was a perfect fit. I was finally able to tell my whole story and all I had dealt with through a professional caregiver. It felt better than I could imagine. Very quickly, this therapist was able to give me techniques to overcome my anxiety disorder. The results accrued very quickly. Within 45 days, I started flying again with much less discomfort. The recovery process wasn't all easy, but I cannot express how good it felt to open up about my issues. Shame loved being in the dark. Through God's tender grace and the relationships I had built with other men, I was able to shine light on my shame, and the shame quickly evaporated. I have since been a strong advocate for mental health. I still have small amounts of anxiety and it, it rears up every once in a while, but I now know what it is and how to manage it and to talk about it, because it's not that scary. I have and will continue to share my story. I pray my story helps others. Uh, I've been able to at least help a few people since I went through this. Mental health is real. Struggling by yourself is the worst. I was so blessed to have a support system and a community to help me through this battle. It's funny, I have some great friends. A lot of them are friends that I played hockey with and they're guys I love golfing with and I'll play around to golf. My wife will come home and say, how are so-and-so? And And I'll be like, well, good. And she'll say, well, it's new with them. Eh, not much, they're good. Um, And they're great people. But um, my community church was front and center through this, serving a greater purpose. I've been able to connect with men that I can be real with and talk about things that are real in my life. Um giving a safe environment to be vulnerable with my struggles. I used to really dislike the term we all have struggles, as I really didn't think it applied to me. Well, I have struggles just like everyone else. How you choose to deal with them is what makes all the difference. God God used this as a chance to build me up, to grow my character. He guided me through a valley for what seemed like forever, only to move a mountain in my life and bring me to the light. God is great. When I spent all those days praying, I never doubted God. I really wished he'd helped me quicker, uh, but now I know he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew I could handle it. He knew I had the strength and character to handle it. If it were a quick fix, I wouldn't have gone through the valley and so, felt so passionately to stand up here and share my story openly with others. There's a saying that goes, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. I used to like that saying, but now I know sometimes life does give us more than we can handle alone, and that's when you lean on God and lean on others in your community to guide you. Praise God. Thank you.
0: so if you put if you put that scripture up there again about exposing to the light there's that really cool line that says expose it to the light so you can become a light and, and I think you were right on target when you said God allowed a story to be built so you could share a story so that you can be in that sense not just exposing the light what's going on but be a light to a lot of people and my guess is when you do something like this to be courageously inv- you know, vulnerable, we kind of think, well, I'm going to be feeling weak. Uh, this feels like weak up here. And, and what are people going to think? My guess is that you're far more connected to people today than you were before, right? But we're so afraid to do that. We're so afraid to get open. We're so afraid to be real. And and I just got to say, for you, there were really some steps. You know, the first step was you move from being just a what I call C&E, kind of Christian in the sense of, Christmas Easter to saying, I'm going to start getting to know God. I'm going to start getting to know God. And, 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 and you responded, started getting in a small group where you could grow in that relationship and, and you have that kind of support in your family, et cetera. But I, I also recognized that one of those steps were to kind of get real. And when you came to me that, that summer afternoon and shared with me, honestly, I was going like afterwards, this guy's got everything together. And yet I realized once again that We just take for granted that everything looks good and we don't know what's going on in other people's hearts and lives. You have no idea the person that you may be working with who looks like they got the world by the tail is really struggling deeply inside. And that's why we're here is to serve One another, and to serve those around us in ways where we help them get real with that. So you kind of took those steps. You took that step of going to Gateway, which was a big thing, and I'm going to put the Gateway community, the Gateway Prayer Ministry um, website up there again. You can look at that if you want to look at it. You can actually get an appointment through that. So if you could put that up there, that would be great so people can see it, take a picture of it, or write it down, or whatever you want to do. Um, And then... Uh, the other thing I just wanted just to, uh, to, to say is that um, the courage it takes to be vulnerable. Could you imagine last summer when we were walking, that you'd be standing up here?
1: No. I was, <laughs> when I was in the depth, of it, I was like, "You didn't want anybody to know." I didn't want to talk about it. We talked about it with my wife. We talked about everything. And it's uh, no. It, it, uh, but through that process, what I've learned now is is being open about it is makes it that much better. Even yeah. now when I have a little I talk about it, has made it so much uh, it's just given me strength uh, yeah. to, to, to work through it.
0: So thank you. I just, again, thank you for sharing that. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Judd. <laughs> <laughs> it, that gateway, there it is. if you want to look at that, that's. it's been helpful, because one of the reasons it's helpful is people just, you can read about it, but pray with you and allow for you to be able to God's spirit and share the stuff that's gone in your heart with people that is really confidential. And there's something about confessing what's in our heart that makes a difference. And God, it, it's not a one step thing. Like Jed said, sometimes God works through many steps to get us to the point where He starts to work in our lives in that way. But one of the number one culprits, and I felt like we needed to stay on this again, is shame. And the place you need to go is to Jesus. Begin there and say, Jesus, because right now he might be doing like he did to Adam. Where are you? And he's just asking you to say, I'm I'm here. This is where I'm at in the sense of here. I'm going to get it out before you. And it's an incredible opportunity for you just to open your heart and life to Jesus. Some of you may have never done this before and I'm just going to take a moment and let you hear a prayer that I think could change your life, because getting connected to Jesus is probably one of the most important things you can do. It's not about qualifying, it's not about in some way achieving, but it's about receiving his forgiveness and his love. And so I'm going to ask us just to pause at this moment, because again, if you haven't been connected to Jesus, or you need to be connected to Jesus, here's a simple prayer that can express your heart. And it's just this, Jesus, right now, I want to take advantage of this opportunity And be eternally connected to you. Just in your heart. Jesus right now I want to take advantage of this opportunity. And be eternally connected to you. I believe you are the son of God. And that you died to rescue me from sin and death. I ask you to forgive me for all my sin and wrong. I invite you into my life. Restore me. Heal me. Live in me. And love through me. I choose you right now. And I give myself to you today and forever. If you prayed that prayer, I would love to know that. I'd love for you just to email me or to let me know or tell someone that you know. It's really important just to say, this is what I did today. But I want to move to the second thing, and this is the area of blame. Blame is is what I would call the second move of disconnection. Because when we feel shame, we feel limited, we feel defective, and we move away from that. God stands there and goes, no, I love you, and I desire to be with you. And and then blame is, a lot of times a lack of responsibility. There's lots of ways we deal with conflict. I think every one of us deals with conflict in different ways. Uh, We can complain. You can move to self-pity. You can get angry. You can isolate. You can hide behind a wall. You can aggressively go after someone, you know what I mean, when conflict takes place. But one of the things that seems to be pretty central and core to who we are is we move to a place of blame. What we want to do is kind of go, it's out here. It's not about me because you're feeling the shame. So you want to move right away and say, "Well, this is about me. I did this, but yeah, um, you're the reason why I did it and you're the one that's got to change it's not me right anybody ever been there well what you find in the move to blame is just purely it's an attempt to avoid responsibility and it often shows up in conflict when we are already disconnected and what's funny about it is blame never helps connect anyone think about it how does that work for you Blame just doesn't create connection. There's a voice that goes off in our head that says, yeah, well, I may have missed being here on time again, but you need to understand, and you just don't get it, and you don't realize that I'm working so hard, and I'm doing this for the family, or I'm doing this for us, and, and, and whatever. Or you hear the voice in your head, don't blame me for this one. It'd be different if you respected me and loved me. Seriously, so if, if you just acted differently, things would be different around here. Right? Genesis chapter 3 verse 10 through 12 shows Adam and Eve after they've run in the garden and they've hidden. There's a very interesting thing. Jesus, God says, who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Which is an interesting statement. He didn't go right away, did you eat from the apple? He says, you guys are running and hiding. Who told you you were naked? You, somehow you are feeling disconnected to me, from me, and you're feeling this sense of You know, having to hide. How'd you find that out? He says, as they go on, have you eaten from the tree I warned you about? Because when we sin, it exposes our heart. And it brings a consciousness of our disconnection to God. And it really brings a consciousness of our disconnection to other people. When we do wrong, when we hurt, when we offend, There's almost an awareness, if we're willing to look at it, of disconnection. But look what happens here. Yes, Adam admitted. But it was the woman you gave me who brought me some of it and I ate it. Immediately turns to blame. I'm feeling the light of your presence on me. You've exposed the thing that I did. And I'm feeling defected and disconnected. And yet, it really wasn't my fault. If you want to give me this woman... It would have never happened. It's just a subtle dis, you know, misdirection. It's, it's, he'd be great in basketball. You know, just makes him move and go, whatever. It's this subtle misdirection that goes back to God. First, it's the woman, but it really goes back to God. And then listen to what he says. Yes, Adam admitted this. And then the Lord God asked the woman. Oh, okay, let's go ask the woman about this. How could you do such a thing? Well, the serpent tricked me, she replied. It's the old the devil made me do it which is another misdirection that is kind of like you, you know, created all beings and somehow the devil went bad and the ba- devil got bad on me and listen you're really it's really amazing how our lack of responsibility often is directed towards a person but ultimately is directed towards back to God did you think of that? and so we th- see things like it's not my fault And when we move to a lack of responsibility, we then move to what I call over-responsibility. We want other people to be responsible for what we lacked, right? And so you kind of go, it's not my fault. If you change, things would be better. And we put our efforts into trying to change the other person. Anybody done that? And it reveals really our pride. Because think about it. We actually think about it. Do you actually believe that you can change and control someone else? Now, you can sometimes change and control kids' behavior, but doesn't mean you're going to change and control their heart, which changes and controls their behavior eventually. That's how God works with it all the time. He doesn't want just behavior modification. In fact, there's lots of people. You may be one of them in the church, and all you're about is, God, I just want someday to go to heaven. I want to be with you, and so I'm going to just try and do my best, to white knuckle it to change my behavior. And he goes, no, I want your heart. And the only way I have your heart is for you to show up in your shame and for you to show up and admit your guilt and take responsibility. And in relationships with others, quit trying to change them because how many can actually, how many do well at changing and controlling yourself? Yeah, you're laughing, right? How many had made a New Year's resolution? How many have followed through on that? I mean, you can go to the gym, you can go to Lifetime or any of these kind of fit places and you can find that when you come to January, I remember I used to be at one, and I would go in January and you could not find a machine till about January 15th. <laughs> and then it opened up, February is no problem at all. Because <laughs> we can't even change ourselves, but we somehow think that when we move to blame and then that sense of taking lack of responsibility, we then begin to over put responsibility on someone else thinking that we can change them and and God if you just made this all different if you just acted in this way in my life then things would be different and the lie is this that blame doesn't work it never creates a deeper connection here's the reality people who take responsibility for their lies do not try to change other people they know it doesn't work And they know it's not their job. Their job is to control themselves. You ever read Galatians when it says the Holy Spirit begins to work in your heart and he's starting to move in your life and and over time he starts to build these fruits in your life. They're fruits because they're, they're not works. They're fruits that happen because the organic connection you have with Jesus and through Jesus they begin to show up in your life. And they're called love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the control of others. You are a smart group. (laughs) It actually begins with love. This love that is the kind of love that will love and do good and do what's right no matter what the other person has done. But isn't it interesting as you go through them all, it ends with this, self-control. What do you believe? And what are you going to change? Some of you right now are in some relationships where you're doing all you can and you're frustrated. You're angry because you're trying to control and change someone you were not created to change. The best you can do is show up and be honest and seek understanding with one another. And I got to tell you, this is such an inbred thing. I was driving in the car, so I'm working on this message over the last few weeks. Even really, the last months, I've been kind of going through my mind with this. And driving, it was before the car race. It was in your office, and we were talking. And and uh, and and my wife said something about something like, um, "I'm glad you're learning this." And I immediately went to. Well, the reality is you're laughing, but the truth is that I was actually learning something. But I just said, you know, that puts me to a place where I'm feeling you know, shame, etc. And, and and I said, you know, would, it, it, would you just say still learning this? Because I'll admit to that. She goes, but I meant that. And it was good to get understanding around it. That's really helpful in a relationship. But I also realized again, how quickly and maybe how often it is that people may say something to me without that intent and I can go somewhere else with it. You can go somewhere else with it. And then what you do is, in my situation, would you? it's up to you. If you would just say it this way, then I can receive it this way. That is baloney. That is baloney. Okay. Now you can talk about it and maybe be lovingly kind and, and, but there's no way you're going to ever account for all the times that another person's going to hear it that way. So what you actually have to do is begin to say, you know what, I have to take responsibility even when I hear those things that I'm not going to go there. And if you have a pattern of going to shame in three seconds, I want to tell you that's a hard reactive pattern to change. But God can do it. Because he starts to give you awareness in the situation where that's happening. And that, with awareness, you begin to stop making other people do your work, but you take responsibility for yourself. That's what it means to grow up in Jesus Christ. And so, what I would love for you to begin to think about is there's this lie that says in shame we gotta hide and we gotta run and, and the word of God says expose it. When it comes to this whole idea of blame, the lie is this that somehow I'm gonna be better connected if you change. Now some of you are going, but wait a second, There's, they're doing stuff that that you know is is destroying and hurting a relationship. I gotta tell you, there are choices, you won't be able to change them, but you can make personal, powerful choices to set up boundaries for those things to change. Now, there's way too many for me to give any kind of guidance on that, but that's helpful to know. There are times when a person breaks what would be a oath of friendship and, and, and you kind of go, you know what, this is destroying the trust in our relationship. But the simple prayer I'm going to ask you to think about specifically with responsibility toward yourself. Around this whole area of the lie of blame that somehow you can change someone is to start praying this prayer. Change me God. Change me God. Give me the courage this day to take responsibility for me and to change the way I react. I will not complain, be quick to judge, or quick to be offended. I will refuse to put my efforts into changing someone else. I recognize that only they can change themselves. And my job is to control me. Would you begin to grow the fruit of self-control and love? Your choice is to change yourself, which means others have to make a choice to change themselves. And they may not choose to do so. And there you'll have to work out what are the choices that you need to make in a way that you are being loving, not vengeful, but loving towards him. If you study the gospel, Jesus never sought to control or manipulate people. He honored their free will. He gave them the ability to choose. He believed in their response ability. He told people what he would do and then he allowed people to choose. He chose to love no matter what the other person did or said. He took responsibility and he, he recognized that love was not dependent on what the other person said or did. I will still love and I will do right. Sometimes that love is tough. He did not say, I will love you when you change or if you change. His love was constant and unconditional. And a person who is like that is safe. That's why Jesus had all kinds of people coming around him. He was really safe. In a book called Keep Your Love On by Danny Silk he says a person who's responsible takes powerful choices in their life. Their love is not dependent on being loved in return. It's dependent on the, their powerful ability to say yes and carry out that decision of love and doing what's right. This protects their love from external forces. They create a safe place to know and be known intimately. They say I can be me around you and you can be you around me. We don't need to control each other and we don't want to control each other. Choose to change yourself. The truth, I believe, when it comes to Shame and hiding is to expose it. The truth when it comes to blame is to begin to say, God changed me. How do you want me to act in a loving and right way in this relationship? There's pain, and I'm just going to use this one, and maybe I'll talk briefly about the other two. But the pain specifically. So now when hurt actually occurs an offense occurs and you feel this sense of being wounded, The common lie is to do this. It's to kind of say, I won't forgive them. I can't forgive them. Because I forgive them, they're getting away with something. I can't let them off my hook. Or they're going to just think they can do whatever they want. What I want to share with you is what the Word of God always says. And that is that forgiveness, when it comes to the pain of being wounded and hurt, forgiveness is not really so much about the other person. It's about what God wants to do for you. What you're actually doing in forgiveness is freeing yourself from their past wound or hurt. Some people live for 20, 30 years hooked to someone else's action. Forgiveness is saying, God, take the hook out of me. It's not so much you're taking the hook out of them because the reality is when you say take the hook out of me, what God does is he always says my hook is still connected to him. In fact, he says that in Romans chapter 12, 17 through 19. He says, do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, this is why I love Paul. He's just so realistic. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So your job is to set yourself free. And, and no longer be hampered by that. So one of the things to do is when people do offend you, when they do wound you, is to, is just to be quick to forgive. Don't live in that, you know, don't let it get bitter, don't let the wound get, just say, God, I just right now, I let them go, I forgive them, I place them in your hands, and I pray your blessing that you will help them to come to understand. If you can't even pray blessing, you can just pray, God, that person's yours, and I, I give that person to you. But I want to tell you, I do believe one of the other things that keeps disconnect. And what happens is it's not just a disconnect with one relationship because it actually bleeds into all kinds of other relationships. And so forgiveness is incredibly important. Priorities. I'm just going to kind of close this up. Priorities. One of the most critical choices you will make every day is regard to your time. If you spend little time with someone, you can expect to, to not probably be very well connected, right? That's why Ephesians 5, 15-17 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. He's saying the days are difficult. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So I just am going to ask you just to think about it. What are your priorities? What are your priorities with God? What are your priorities with family? Because what are the things that get in the way of being well-connected? One of the reasons we as a church did parents' night out it's cause I've had the opportunity over, and it's just, as George and I and others have been talking, but in some of the conversations I've had with some of our younger families, I ask them, what's your greatest need? And they go rest. We just, we just, it would be great if we could just have some time together as a couple. I go, over, get a babysitter and they go, you know how much it costs? Fifteen dollars an hour or so. I mean, I, I'm just going, I'm in the wrong business. Anyway, Um No, I I watched Waddlers for three hours and and I actually left quite a bit of times, but even in that time I was exhausted. They they keep you busy. And one of the reasons we do that is because we want people to prioritize well their own relationship. But one of the reasons I, I, I can share with you we are in a day and an age where it says it doesn't really matter to take time to meet with God on a regular basis. It really does matter, folks it really matters to slow things down and say God I'm going to give you some time and break and say I'm going to worship you I'm going to stop to get connected I don't know how you want to learn how to do that but it does so priorities and then the last is I just talked about rejection what do you do when you are feeling rejection Romans 12 8 is just this verse that I think is just critical in this one If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I mean, you can't make their choices, right? So if it's possible, if if it's possible that you can be connected, then do what needs to be done as far as it depends on you. But at a certain point, you realize someone may just say, I don't want to be connected. And I don't know anything that's harder than maybe a child. Some of you, I talked with, and prayed with, and you feel rejected by a child that says, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want anything to do with your faith. I just want to read to you, and I'll kind of maybe use this to conclude. There was a pastor who was meeting with a person whose daughter was, um, just rejected her mom, and their mom was just trying to figure out what to do, and the pastor didn't have quick answers, but later he started to just think and pray about it, and he wrote her this little note, and I'm just going to read it to you. We need to be reminded that an outstanding miracle lies at the heart of our faith. And his call here is to a call to prayer. When you can't do anything about the situation, you can pray. We need to be reminded that an astounding miracle lies at the heart of our faith. We believe something absolutely incredible, that a man who is dead came back to life on the third day. We believe that God raised him from the dead. Now, if God would do that for his son... Indeed, if God has the power to raise the dead, who are we to question God's power to change the hardest hearts? What are the chances that a man who has been tortured and then crucified and then buried in a tomb would be raised from the dead? The odds would seem to be against it. And he says to her, you can't start with what your eyes see or what you can figure out. And you can't trust your feelings in something like this because your emotions can play tricks on you. We must therefore start with God who can raise the dead, not with the person who is spiritually unresponsive. If it is God alone who can raise the dead, then put your full focus on God alone. And pray. And pray. Let's pray. I'm going to ask the team to come forward. Jesus, in just this moment, um, there are people who have heard you speak in 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 different ways to them this morning. Some may have just heard that incredible call to believe in a God who raises the dead and not to look at a child or a friend or a parent or whoever it may be whose heart's unresponsive, seemingly almost spiritually dead. We look to you, the giver of life. You are powerful in all things. And for some God who are in relationships where they're just going, I, this is so difficult to live in this. Again, we look to you as the God who can change our hearts and do what needs to be in, in us. And We look to you as a God who leads us, as we heard with Judd, into other people who know you, who can give advice, who can give instruction, who can encourage, who can direct God, we would ask that you would make us a people who would not move to blame, that God, when we're feeling stuff in our life, we would be people who wouldn't move to complain, we would be people who would not be quick to offense, that God, we would be people who would not seek any kind of revenge whether it's just playing the quiet, isolated kind of hiding behind a wall from someone or if it's to go after them God, we would be the kind of people who go after you in all that we do we want to be connected to you God we want to be connected to one another we want to be connected to this community around us God we want to be connected to the creation that you have created we want to handle all this stuff well for your sake and for your glory just take a moment and As the team kind of plays, just to listen, pray, be in that space where you keep your
1: heart connected to God for a moment.